there's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Due to the graphic nature of this case, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes dramatizations and discussions of murder and assault that some people may find offensive. We advise extreme caution for children under 13. Open up! What's the meaning of this racket? This is a respectable... Oh, excuse me, gentlemen. Uh, may I help you? Hadouson, where is he? Well, you see, officer, he's a very busy man. Uh, can I tell him what it's about? I'm sure he'll get back. Don't bother with your lies, sir. We're well aware that he's here. Hadouson! No sense hiding in the shadows like that. Might as well show yourself. Ah, oh, dearest lieutenant, or... I'm sorry, I, I can't place your name. But I'm sure we've met at one of my parties. How can I help you? You are to come with us immediately. I'm afraid that's quite impossible. I have a nine o'clock show. Mr. Hanusin, I assure you that this is not an option. I encourage you not to resist. You're joking. This must be a joke. Who put you up to this? Was it Heldorf? Last warning, Mr. Hanusin. Whatever it is, there's been a mistake. I'll have you know, I know the Chancellor himself, and Adolf Hitler will certainly. This is a horrible misunderstanding. Let go of me! I'm Hanusin. I have powerful friends! You'll be- Mr. Hanusin! Hold him! You'll be sorry you did this! I know! I've seen it! I know everything! This is Unsolved Murders, True Crime Stories. I'm your host, Carter Roy. And I'm your host, Wendy McKenzie. This is our first episode on Eric Jan Hanussen, the clairvoyant who rose to fame and fortune in 1920s Berlin, only to be mysteriously murdered in 1933. You can listen to previous episodes of Unsolved Murders, as well as all of ParCast's other shows, wherever you listen to podcasts. A new episode comes out every Tuesday. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and on Twitter at ParCast Network. Some listeners have been asking how they can help support the show. If you enjoy the podcast, the best way to do that is to leave a five-star review wherever you're listening. In 1933, on the eve of Hitler's rise to power in Berlin, the body of world-renowned clairvoyant, mystic, and hypnotist Erich Jan Hanussen was found riddled with bullets in the woods outside of Berlin. He was last seen being driven off by members of the Sturmabteilung, the Nazi party's paramilitary organization. And yet Hanussen was not an enemy of the Nazis. He was one of their most wealthy supporters. American magazines had even dubbed him Hitler's pal and ran stories detailing his predictions of the glorious rise to power of Adolf Hitler and his Nazi party. Hanussen knew and socialized with many of the top Nazi party members. After all, 
He was one of the most well-known and influential members of Berlin society. He was incredibly famous. And fond of making the kind of wild predictions about the future that newspaper editors love to run. Like how San Francisco would be capital of the world by 2500, long after New York City had sunk into the sea. Or that we'd travel from Berlin to San Francisco by catapult. Predictions that sound ridiculous, but are really hard to dispute due to their vague, futuristic nature. Newspapers all over the world printed his clairvoyant visions, and those very same newspapers reported on his disappearance and, two weeks later, the discovery of his corpse. There were any number of theories of why this flamboyant showman and mystic might have been killed. After all, this was a man who'd spent his life traveling Europe as a psychic, selling his predictions to whoever would pay. And while he may have seemed like a harmless performer, he harbored some strange and potentially deadly secrets. One of the problems of discussing Eric Jan Hanussen is that just about the only source of info on his early life is his autobiography, My Lifeline, which he wrote in 1930 at the age of 41. Unfortunately, it contains a number of stories that are either hard to verify or downright unbelievable. It's less a serious autobiography and more of a book-length advertisement for his mystical powers. Hanussen never misses an opportunity to paint his background in the most impressive, almost unbelievable terms. We do know that Eric Jan Hanussen was born Hermann Steinschneider in Vienna on June 2, 1889. In his autobiography, Hanussen tells how his 31-year-old father, Siegfried Steinschneider, had eloped with his 20-year-old mother, Julie Kohn. His father was poor, and Julie's wealthy father was against the match— so he had the pair thrown in jail for vagrancy, even though Julie was far along in her pregnancy at the time. Please, let me out. You've got to let me out. Yeah, yeah. You'd be surprised how often I hear that, lady. I'm telling you, my baby is coming. He shouldn't have to be born in... What's wrong? Somebody call a doctor. She gave birth just 15 minutes later, or so the story goes, and was promptly released from prison. Citing his opportune entrance into the world, Hanussen took personal credit for getting her out of that cell. In the story of his birth, Hanussen makes sure to say that he originally came from a wealthy family, something he would emphasize throughout the rest of his life. He also left out the fact that he was Jewish. When he wrote his autobiography in 1930, anti-Semitism was already rampant in Germany, so it was much easier to pass as a Gentile. After it was published, he changes history again and claimed that he was actually from the Danish aristocracy and had only been adopted by a Jewish family. His father was an actor and his mother was a singer, and young Hermann spent much of his early life on the road, traveling through Italy and Austria with various small-time acting troops. In 1892, when Hermann was traveling with his family through Romania, he claims that he had his first experience of clairvoyance. He said he got an urge to pull a young playmate, Erna, out of her apartment and out of the building. They ran to a nearby graveyard where they hid while her apartment exploded. He was only three years old. 
According to the autobiography, Erna eventually rejected him by falling in love with a neighbor's handsome son, leading him to conclude, quote, women are evil, which is a pretty bold take for a three-year-old. When Hermann was nine, the family moved back to Vienna, where his mother died after a long illness. Hermann's father was struggling to make ends meet as a salesman, so to save money and for a change of scenery, he and Hermann moved to a small Czech town named Boscovici. Hanusen's autobiography tells a bizarre story about his time in Boscovici, saying that he and several of his friends decided to play Nero and burn the village to the ground. As the villagers came out to watch the fire, a notorious thief named Grossel ran out of the mill. The police had been hunting for Grossel, and Hanusen got praise for bringing him to justice. However, he only got a small reward instead of the big bounty they'd offered for Grossel. After all, he had set the town on fire. It's a great, if weird, story. It's a shame it's completely made up. The real Grossel died in 1818, 80 years before Herman's time in the village. The mixing of truth and almost ridiculous bragging continues throughout his book. There's even a part where he brags about how he fell in love with and seduced a 45-year-old woman when he was 14. It's like the book was written entirely in humble brags. In 1903, a 14-year-old Herman followed in his parents' footsteps to become an entertainer, joining a circus. He learned the ways of mentalism and specialized in demonstrating feats of psychokinesis, the act of moving objects with your mind. While traveling in the circus, he learned a lot of artistry, both magical and con, that would lead him to his next big job. In 1910, at the age of 21, he stopped performing and settled down in Vienna. There, he became chief reporter for a newspaper, Der Blitz, or The Lightning. Unfortunately, Der Blitz had a reputation for earning money in ways that didn't involve selling papers. Steinschneider, great story about Councilman Heff. Great copy. Thanks. I'm thinking front page, above the fold. Well, it would have been there, but it's better that we don't run it. Good relations and all that. I don't understand. Well, I think you'll understand that Heff is a patron of our newspaper, and after reading your story, he made a sizable donation. Of course, he wanted to make sure some of it went to the talented reporter who wrote such a fine, if mistaken, article about him. We both hope you'll keep up the good work. Ah, I definitely will, sir. This wouldn't be the first time Herman would be connected to blackmail. Unfortunately, his journalism career was derailed by the sudden outbreak of the First World War in 1914. The young Hermann found himself drafted into the Austrian army. Always the opportunist, Hermann used his time in the war to hone his performing and mentalism skills. He entertained the other troops with his clairvoyant predictions and amazingly accurate accounts of news from their hometowns. Heinrich Bauer? Yes, it's me. I'm getting... Your farm is doing fine. The potato crop is coming in. And your mother... My mother? What about my mother? Your mother... had to hire new workers in the field. But it's looking like the harvest will be bountiful enough to cover the costs. Oh, thank you. Oh, it's so great to know that. What an amazing gift you have. Well, I'm just happy I can ease your mind, Heinrich. 
It was rumored his accurate mystical visions actually came from reading the soldiers' letters from home. Supposedly, he'd steam open the letters so they wouldn't know, then jot down any important information for his act. His investigative journalism experience was clearly paying off. And Herman obviously did not mind taking advantage of his fellow soldiers' vulnerable emotional state. When the war ended in 1918, Herman joined another circus and started a new career, taking on the stage name Eric Jan Hanussen, which he would use for the rest of his life. He also combined his writing skills and his magic skills to create a new side career, exposing psychic frauds. I'll admit, I didn't see that coming. I know. He published a pamphlet called What Is This Based On, which debunked clairvoyance and telepathics as fakes and con men. Then he wrote another book, Thought Reading, which labeled mind reading as a hoax. Which makes it even more surprising when he changed careers again. It was while researching an expose on a Jewish conjurer named Leo Rubini that Hanussen made a big decision. I don't get it. Why isn't anyone buying my books? They're all truthful. That's how these frauds work. They're selling, just not well. We won't be printing any more. There's no money in it. Ha! Huh. I could do better on the road, lying to the masses. I mean, look at this Leo Rubini. I can do all the tricks he did. Better even. I guess people just prefer lies sometimes. It's comforting. Yeah, that's right. I could go back to performing. That could work. I know how to do this. I'm sure you could. It'd be easy. All right, I'll do it. From now on, Hanussen is a real clairvoyant. For good. So Eric Jan Hanussen became a professional psychic. The very thing his books were calling out as being fake. And all his research only helped him to avoid being uncovered himself. In 1918, he hit the road and toured as a mind reader, claiming that his amazing powers could see the future. He had the stage training, he was likable, and he knew all the tricks that the best mentalist used since he'd already exposed them. Hanussen quickly established himself as a professional psychic across Europe. He boasted of his powers of telepathy and clairvoyance and always made sure he was available for lucrative private sessions after the show. But there were plenty of other mentalists and showmen competing with him for stage time. Hanussen wanted to be the most famous mentalist in Europe, and for that, he'd need to do something that got everyone's attention. We'll find out what he had up his sleeve after the break. Now... Back to the story. By 1922, Eric Jan Hanussen's career in Europe as a professional psychic was beginning to take off. But he was anxious for his fame to grow at a much faster rate and needed a way to rouse interest in his act. Hanussen found that attention by starting a feud with the biggest performer in Germany, literally. He was a Polish strongman named Zisha Breitbart. He was billed as the Hebrew Iron King. He'd been trained as a blacksmith, but grew up to join a Jewish circus where he specialized in feats of strength like wrestling bears and having railroad workers smash tombstones on his chest. In fact, Breitbart is considered by some to be an inspiration for Jewish comic creators Siegel and Schuster when they created Superman in the 1930s. After all, Breitbart was billed as the Superman of the Ages. Breitbart was a true sensation, 
but he was about to come into contact with a man who had no problem belittling Breitbart's accomplishments for his own personal gain. In 1922, he'd started a three-month gig in Vienna, showing off his various feats of strength. He ended up on the same bill as Hanussen, who was working as an act that featured a mixture of predictions and hypnotism. Now, Breitbart was exactly the kind of huge star that Hanussen wanted to be. His act featured a wide range of impressive physical stunts, like pulling a wagon packed with 40 passengers, but his performance also included some stage tricks and gimmicks that he used to make himself seem more superhuman. Breitbart was impressively strong, but the tricks really impressed his huge crowds and gave him an otherworldly aura. He added in some stunts like biting through iron chains and having a car driven over him, stunts that needed some special techniques to perform, techniques that Hanussen was definitely familiar with from his days in the circus and exposing psychic frauds. No one knows why Hanussen took such a strong dislike to Breitbart, Apart from the fact that he was much more well-known than Hanussen, there's always the chance that Hanussen was simply jealous of Breitbart's embracing of his Jewish heritage. After all, Hanussen was still hiding his. Whatever the reason behind his dislike, Hanussen knew Breitbart's more gimmicky stunts employed sleight of hand and misdirection instead of raw strength. So Hanussen capitalized by hiring a 19-year-old Jewish seamstress named Marta Farah. Now witness, as we wrap these chains around this weak and feeble girl before you. Now, you sir, have you inspected these chains? They seem real to me. Because they are real. And now, watch as I place this young girl under my trance. Can you hear me, Marta? I hear. I obey. And now you have the strength of a giant. The strength of a certain Hebrew giant, to be sure. These chains are nothing to me. Nothing! Behold, Vienna's true strongman. Marta's chains looked impressive when inspected, but the moment the crowd wasn't looking, the chains were switched with fakes that she could easily escape from. Hanussen's new act was quickly a hit. Newspapers started to report about the story of the girl who could do all of the amazing feats that Breitbart could do while under Hanussen's hypnotic control. It does seem more impressive to have a 120-pound girl doing all those feats than a giant muscle man. But Hanussen's plans for their rivalry were just beginning. He quickly moved to the theater opposite Breitbart and used his newfound publicity to bring in huge crowds. Ooh, I can't imagine Breitbart was happy about this new act. He was not. And he quickly made his unhappiness known. Hanussen, you think you can get away with stealing my act? That's my livelihood you're messing with. Breitbart, you can't blame me if the audience prefers <clears throat> a pretty girl to all of your muscle. Besides... We're all just fakes anyway. What does it matter? Did that feel fake? I am Vienna's true strongman. If you don't get that girl off the stage and out of show business, I'll make sure you're sorry you ever stepped on a stage. Remember that. And remember this. In 1922, Breitbart assaulted Hanussen while the mentalist was backstage at his show. But that wasn't enough to stop Hanussen. He kept on showing off Marta, and the crowds kept coming. 
The press loved the rivalry between the two strong people. They ran stories covering the growing feud, and they fanned the flames. Hanussen's stunt ended up making both of them bigger stars. But it wasn't equal. Breitbart had more fans, and Hanussen had to worry about their rowdy support. Sometimes they'd disrupt Hanussen's shows by chanting Breitbart during his act. Others stormed the stage to harass him and Marta. To help turn public opinion to his side, Hanussen issued a challenge to Breitbart through the Vienna newspaper Der Tag. Hanussen would give 10 million krona, around $2,000 today, to charity if Breitbart could sever an iron chain of Hanussen's choosing with his teeth. And that wasn't all. Hanussen offered to donate another 10 million krona if Marta couldn't duplicate one of Breitbart's most popular stunts, lying on a bed of nails with an anvil on his chest. But he didn't stop there. He offered to donate another 10 million krona if Marta couldn't safely survive being pressed under Breitbart's stone board, or if Hanussen couldn't find 20 regular citizens able to bend the iron sheets and steel bars Breitbart used during his act. Wow. Sounds like Hanussen was coming close to exposing the methods both of them used. Yeah. It was a dangerous move that could have seriously hurt Hanussen. Publicly, Breitbart ignored the challenge. After all, he was busy making and starring in a movie, The Iron King. He didn't have time for Hanussen's antics. However, Hanussen was incredibly persistent, and he eventually wore down Breitbart to the point where the strongman had to respond. And he did so by suing Hanussen for slander. And Hanussen responded by suing Breitbart back, also for slander. And so the two performers who were both accusing the other of having faked their acts went to trial. This had gone way beyond a simple publicity stunt. But the trial didn't have quite the outcome either of them expected. Order! Despite the subjects of this case, I will not have this court turned into a circus. Mr. Breitbart, Mr. Hanussen, step forward. Your Honor, sir. Now you've each charged the other with slander, but before I deal with that, there's another serious charge we must deal with. Mr. Breitbart, do you deny striking Mr. Hanussen and threatening him with violence if he did not end his show? Your Honor, I... No. I do not deny that. I see. I appreciate your honesty, Mr. Breitbart, but there's no excuse for such violence. I fine you 250,000 krona in damages for the assault. Order! Order! Of course. I'll gladly pay it. Your Honor, that's not nearly enough. Meanwhile, Mr. Hanussen, I find you guilty of slandering the good name of Mr. Breitbart. How dare you imply that he would lie to the people of Vienna? That's outrageous! And I sentence you to be removed from Austria for a term of no less than ten years. Court adjourned. Your Honor, how can you? This is my home! While 250,000 krona might seem like a lot of money, it's only about 43 bucks in today's dollars, so it seems likely that the judge only charged him because he felt that he had to. He definitely seemed to feel that Hanussen's slander of Breitbart was a much harsher crime. Or maybe Breitbart's fame and reputation simply outweighed Hanussen's. But Hanussen wouldn't let getting kicked out of a country slow him down. He took his act on the road, touring through Europe, but in 1925, he took his show to New York to appear on the same bill as Breitbart, even bringing along a new Marta Farah to copy his act. 
but Hanussen soon tired of the act and his new Marta and left New York later that year to spend the next several years touring throughout Europe as a solo act, focusing less on hypnotism and more on his predictions as a clairvoyant seer. He was well known, but not the superstar he dreamed of becoming. However, fame for Hanussen was just around the corner, although it came in a rather peculiar way. While traveling through Czechoslovakia in 1930, a 41-year-old Hanusen was charged with 32 counts of procuring money under false pretenses. Mr. Hanusen, how do you plead? Plead? Innocent. Your Honor, we admit that Hanusen did take that money, but it wasn't under false pretenses. I took that money as payment for using my gifts. Since the false pretenses is the only crime here, we ask that the court judge Mr. Hanusen's powers before a panel of experts. Yes. Let me prove my hypnotic and telepathic powers before a panel of my peers. I guarantee you will not be disappointed. Well, this... Well, it seems only fair that Mr. Hanusen be given a chance to prove his powers. So the judge convened a panel of experts on psychic powers to prove his claims. They weren't going to judge whether psychic powers existed. Everyone in the courtroom believed that psychic powers were very much real. The real question was whether Hanusen actually had the goods. And Hanusen didn't disappoint his fans. He showed up to court in what was described in papers as a grotesque robe and took every opportunity to play to the crowd. If they were going to test his powers, he was going to give those experts a real show. Mr. Hanusen, we've devised three easy tests for your powers here. We'll ask you to find an object we've hidden in the courtroom. Then we want you to give us a quick example of your telepathic and or hypnotic powers. And finally, point out which of the men on that bench owns this tobacco pouch. All very standard and normal tests for someone of your supposed power level. Indeed. You will not be disappointed. Shall we begin? And they did. With as much effort and showmanship as Hanusen could produce, he tested his powers and... Mr. Hanusen? The powers are definitely telling me. It's been 30 minutes. It's this man. This man here. You're certain? Yes, definitely. That's him. The owner. Wrong. <laughs> Mr. Hanusen, you've been wrong on all your attempts. All of them. I've never seen such a brazen attempt to mislead people into thinking you have real mystical powers. This wasn't a fair test of my miraculous abilities. Enough. I almost feel ridiculous doing this, but I'll poll the experts. Gentlemen, in your expert opinion, do you feel that Mr. Hanusen has proven his claims? No. Not at all. Well... Well? You have some doubts? Uh, well... I'll admit I felt some small psychic power emanating from Mr. Hanusen. Now, that could be some sort of power coming from someone else in the room, but it might be him. I'm just not comfortable definitively saying no. Unfortunately, we must take the opinion of our experts seriously. In light of our panel's ruling, the court will declare that Mr. Hanusen does, in fact, possess mystical powers. On the condition that Mr. Hanusen leave Czechoslovakia in the next 24 hours. Will that be acceptable to you, Mr. Hanusen? What? I... I guess so. Of course, Your Honor. 
And so, Eric Jen Hanussen was thrown out of another court and another country. Well, you might think such a showing would be a disaster for Hanussen's act, unless you read about it in the papers. The press focused on the fact that the court had confirmed his powers, and articles about him left out the part where he was kicked out of the country. Hanussen was described as passing every test put before him. And the trial got a surprisingly large amount of press. In fact, there were articles about it all the way in America, where papers like the Fayette and Iowa Leader praised Hanussen's amazing mind-reading abilities. These articles ended on an even more positive note, describing how Hanussen was given a great ovation as he returned to his hotel. And just like that, Hanussen's notoriety erupted and he had finally garnered the fame he so desired. So he took his newfound popularity and headed to a place he could exploit it, a place where his career would reach new heights, giving Hanussen untold riches. And that place was Berlin, and it was there where he would meet a bizarre and mysterious end, immediately after one of his outlandish predictions came true. We'll hear more about Hanussen's rise to stardom right after the break. And now, back to the story. In 1930, with his psychic powers certified by Czechoslovakia, Eric Jan Hanussen headed to a place where he could finally get the fame and notoriety he craved, Berlin. Now, you might think that he'd be despondent after getting kicked out of a country on threat of jail time. But Hanussen saw it as an opportunity. While much of Berlin was still suffering from the financial hardship of World War I, it was also a hot spot of culture and entertainment in Europe. A dedicated performer could easily build up a following and a career there that would guarantee success through Europe. And Hanussen was able to capitalize on whatever notoriety he could get. Come on up. Tonight, see the world-famous clairvoyant, Eric Jan Hanussen. Fresh from Czechoslovakia. See his amazing ability to see into your souls, your minds, your pocketbooks. And if you doubt his abilities, you should know that he is the only mentalist to ever have his abilities tested and confirmed by the Czech court. Two tickets, please. Germany was still struggling to recover their economic strength after the massive war reparations were imposed by the Allies at the end of World War I, which meant it was both the best place for Hanussen to build up his performing career, but also the best place to find people willing to pay fortune tellers for financial advice. Crowds were eager to hear Hanussen's predictions of a brighter tomorrow for Germany. At the time, Berlin's economic situation was so dire that newspapers were reporting hundreds of suicides every week. The crowds loved hearing how the German situation would improve. And if they also got suggestions of how to gain fame and fortune for themselves, even better. Hanussen's shows were incredibly popular. He was able to charge twice the ticket price of his competitors. Every night he would take the stage sporting white makeup and a tux with tails and dazzle a packed house with his illustrious over-the-top performance. He specialized in feats of mind reading and made bold predictions about the future of his audience and the future of Germany. But he still found time to give those private personal readings. Mr. Hanussen. Please call me Eric. Oh, thank you. Our furniture business is doing poorly. What with inflation and lack of materials. What does our future hold for us? Ruin? 
That's not for me to say. It is my gift that can help you. I am just a slave to it. Now, take my hands. Mr. Schmidt, the veils of the future are drawing open, and I see your wife, Lena. That's her. I see her dressed in the finest silks, and you in the richest brocade. But why? Why are we dressed so finely? For the opening of a new factory. Oh, I never would have guessed. Oh, Herr Schmidt, it seems like you will be quite fortunate in the coming months. Oh, thank you. This is such a relief. Please accept this from me and Lena. Why, thank you. It's not necessary, but if you really want to. Hanussen was the darling of the Berlin newspapers, who touted him as a psychic marvel. If he had one true talent, it was drawing attention to himself. As he once wrote, In Berlin, a man knows what to do. The Berliner is a vulgarian. He likes to make a noise and brag of himself. But he shuts up the moment somebody appears on the scene who can brag louder. And no one could brag louder than Hanussen. Hanussen was able to invest the money he gained from his act and his private clients, giving him a sizable fortune. He bought a lavish mansion, which he dubbed the Palace of the Occult, and through equally lavish parties, he'd finally found a place he belonged and he wasn't going to let anyone kick him out. By 1931, Hanussen's stardom was continuing to rise. In only a year, he'd made himself a multi-millionaire and able to open a private consultation parlor in the best part of Berlin, bringing in wealthy clients and exorbitant fees. He was in such demand that he bought a printing firm and started releasing his own weekly magazine, the Hanussen Magazine. It would grow to have a circulation of over one million by the time it closed. But not everyone was so in love with Hanussen. The socialist papers savaged him as a cheat and a swindler, which led Hanussen to charge them with slander. However, when one would back down, another would simply start criticizing him again. Some even hinted at rumors of a secret Jewish heritage, based on rumors from chorus girls, who claimed they'd seen that he was circumcised. I can't believe it. They're still printing these lies about me. Are they lies? I didn't want to ask, but... Of course they're lies! Do I look Jewish to you? Well? Of course not. I need to ally myself with someone who will shut up these leftist troublemakers. Now, at that point, the National Socialists, or Nazi Party, were only a minor part of Germany's government. However, the party's anti-Semitic sentiments were already well known. For a Jewish entertainer looking to prove that he wasn't Jewish, the Nazi Party made an ideal ally. And so, in March 1932, the cover story of Hanussen magazine ran a headline that shocked and confused many of its readers. Greta! The new Hanussen is here. Oh, let me know when you're done. Or if there's anything I need to know about the next week. Look at this cover. Hanussen in trance predicts Hitler's future. What future could that man have? Those national socialists fit. Wait, it says that he'll be chancellor in a year. And that Hindenburg will put him there. What? That crazy as our chancellor? <laughs> In 1932, Germany was in the middle of its first democratic government, the Weimar Republic. The National Socialists were just one of the many different political parties, and not a very large one either. Its leader, Adolf Hitler, 
who at that point didn't even have German citizenship papers, was seen as little more than a joke. No one thought he had a serious chance to be chancellor, especially in only a year's time. Few took that first article seriously. It was just about the only thing Hanussen did that wasn't attracting everyone's attention. But it did get the notice of some members of the Nazi party. By 1932, he was still bringing in audiences and he'd grown rich enough to buy a sanatorium where he sold occult cures like a hormonal cream designed to increase both male virility and the female sex drive. His lifestyle had become impressively decadent. He bought a racing stable, a castle in the country, and six limousines. He was known to travel around with six armed bodyguards and a variety of actresses dressed in jewels and outfits that he designed. In just a few years, he'd amassed a fortune that few in Berlin could rival. He even bought a huge yacht where he would throw lavish parties for the elite of Berlin society. And those parties were notorious for their supposed debauchery. While cocaine use was rampant in Berlin, Hanussen's festivities offered a wider range of drugs. All manner of sexual offerings were on the table, with the highlight of some parties being a nude sexual review. Other parties were said to have Hanussen showing off his specialty, the ability to make a woman orgasm through hypnosis. And it was at one of those parties that Hanussen met a man that would shape the course of his life. Hello, everyone. I'm so glad you can join me tonight. I'm sure you'll find tonight's diversions diverting. <laughs> Let me know if there's anything I can do to enliven your evening. Mr. Hanussen, will you be showing off your, um, specialty tonight? We'll see. But for now, please drink and enjoy. Bartender, my usual. So, you are the vaunted Hanussen. I've heard so much about you. They say you see into everyone's hearts and wallets. Well, my powers do come in handy in the business sector. I don't think we've been introduced. Mr... Count Wolf Heldorf, at your service. Count Heldorf? I've heard of you. You're with Hitler's party. Oh, yes. And I must say, he loved your peace on him. He shares your opinion on his ascension to the Chancellorship, especially the timeline. Well, that wasn't my opinion. I just wrote what I've seen will come to pass. Of course, of course. But at the very least, he appreciates you publishing your visions for all of Germany to see. There are those in the country that don't take us too seriously. Oh, that won't be for long. I've seen that for sure. Uh, perhaps you'd like to meet our leader. I'm sure he'd like to meet you. I feel like there's much you could learn from each other. I would love that. And please, let others in your party know that they're welcome on my yacht and in my Palace of the Occult. Now. If there's anything I can do for you... Oh, I wouldn't want to impose. Nonsense! I'm sure we can come to an arrangement that would help us both. Count Wolf Heinrich Graf von Heldorf was a member of the Prussian Parliament and an early member of the National Socialist Freedom Party. He was also a compulsive gambler who'd run up massive debts. That was what Heldorf needed help with, and Hanussen was more than happy to start paying his many gambling debts. In return, Heldorf started bringing members of the Nazi party to Hanussen's parties and introducing him. Soon, Hanussen was firmly entrenched in the Nazi elite. Hanussen and Heldorf became close, and for the next year, whenever Heldorf needed money, he could turn to Hanussen. 
Hanusen also donated heavily to the Nazi Party's paramilitary wing, the Storm of Tailung, as they were known. This was the same organization that would later take Hanusen on his fateful final ride. This meeting started Hanusen's journey into the inner circles of the Nazi Party. Soon, Hanusen was familiar with all the ranking Nazi officials, including, according to some accounts, Adolf Hitler. Even today, there's debate about just how close Hanusen was to the Nazis' inner circle. The claim that he gave Hitler private lessons on how to speak and work a crowd was spread by many American magazines, who dubbed him Hitler's pal. And Hanusen was almost assuredly spreading the story that he was Hitler's private seer and astrologer. It just increased his fame. But others maintain that there's no proof that Hanusen ever actually met Hitler, let alone taught him. And some newspaper reports of the day said that the Nazis wouldn't even acknowledge ties to any astrologers, let alone an outspoken one like Hanusen. But either way, Hanusen's career was on the rise. He was headlining shows in Berlin and throwing his lavish parties for the elites of Berlin society and the Nazi party. Then, on January 30th, 1933, Hitler was appointed as Chancellor of Germany, and Hanusen's once outlandish feat of clairvoyance had shockingly come true. Such an incredible and unlikely prediction only brought Hanusen more and more attention. His shows were selling out, and the party he had close ties with was rapidly gaining power. But then, several months after Hitler's election in 1933, Erich Jan Hanusen was scheduled to take the stage as the highlight of that night's performance. The audience waited breathlessly for him, but after half an hour, he still hadn't come out. Where is he? I can't believe we paid so much just to wait. It's probably some publicity stunt. Another ploy to sell his Hanusen newspaper. Oh, of course. That's gotta be it. Shh. The manager's coming out. Ladies and gentlemen, I know you're here to see the greatest seer of our age, Mr. Eric Jan Hanusen. Unfortunately, he, um, is not here. I have been told that he came down with a sudden nervous condition, and he, um has gone to the sanatorium. But that's all we know, and we're as surprised and confused as you are. I'm sure you'll join me in wishing him a speedy recovery, and of course, return when he is able to once again grace our stage. I bet you're right. I bet he shows up at tomorrow's performance, fit as anything, ranting again about that sky catapult, or that fire in the Capitol. That's gotta be it. I bet even on his deathbed, Hanusid would never let that little inconvenience get between him and a crowd. Not when there's money to be had. And he can't hide for long. I mean, who doesn't know the face of Hanusen? But that was the night Nazi soldiers came for Hanusen and drove him away. It would be weeks before that audience or anyone else found out what happened to Hanusen. And the person who discovered what happened was a German farmer walking through a field outside of Berlin. I'm just going to see what's out there. I swear it looked like someone in the bushes. Then just leave it. I just want to know what they were... Look. Look, what's that? I think it's... a person. Just leave it. Sir? Are you... Sir? (gasps) Oh! Oh, my. What is it? Oh! Oh, no! What happened? He's... He's been shot. So much blood. Who... Who is he? I don't know. Let's get out of here. The body was Hanusen's, 
but it wasn't easy to identify. It had been beaten, shot, and stripped of everything except for some cash, around 30 marks. Eventually, his relatives identified his body at the morgue. But by then, his seven apartments and the Palace of the Occult had all been robbed and looted. The sudden and brutal murder was certainly a shock. However, a lack of investigation and subtle political shifts that occurred on the heels of his death made the already strange ordeal more and more suspicious. Especially considering that Eric Jan Hanussen was killed less than a month after one of his boldest and most frightening predictions had come true. Next episode, we'll explore the theories about why Hanussen was killed. Theories that range from nude blackmail photos to some disastrous late-night prophecies. And even, according to some, a personal falling out with Adolf Hitler. You can find Unsolved Murders and all of ParCast podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, CastBox, TuneIn, and your favorite podcast directory. A new episode comes out every Tuesday. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and on Twitter at ParCast Network. And if you enjoy the podcast, the best way to support us is by leaving a five-star review wherever you listen. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next time. If we live till next time. Unsolved Murders True Crime Stories was created by Max Cutler and developed by Ron Cutler. It is a production of Cutler Media and is part of the ParCast Network. It is produced by Max and Ron Cutler, sound designed by Kenny Hobbs, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro and Paul Mahler. Additional production assistance by Maggie Admire and Carly Madden, Unsolved Murders is written by John Gutierrez and stars Carter Roy and Wendy McKenzie. The amazing cast of voice actors includes, by alphabetical order, Mike Capozzi, Jerry Courtney Austin, Harris Markson, Steve Pinto, and Daniel Velasquez. <laughs> <laughs>